Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So um, I was invited to come to a consultation uh, in Indianapolis uh, uh, with the Lilly Endowment, uh, which is a kind of like a, a national philanthropist body. Uh, that specifically looks to support religious life. And uh, one of the things that they were asking me to prepare thoughts around, and this is a kind of like a national gathering, they're probably going to uh, develop a grant based off of this, um, was how do we describe the beauty of the gospel? How do we describe the beauty of the gospel? Th- this is coming off of the observation that they're like, wow, it sure seems like uh, there's a lot of... Uh, interpretations, or I'm trying to use my nice words, there's a lot of expressions of Christianity or things that are appropriating Christian tropes that seem pretty uh, problematic. And it seems like uh, uh, more and more of America is becoming disgusted with uh, Christianity on on the public stage, especially young people. And so uh, the Lillian Dumb is gathering people who, uh, from all over the country to see like, okay, so um, that is true and we do have to respond to that. And like, is there something about this that matters, that is worth preserving? Is there something about the Christian message, the gospel, the Bible, church as a community that is worth like continuing to struggle for, even in the midst of kind of like the news headlines that are showing a very different story? Is there something that makes the gospel matter? Uh, And of course, like, uh, I I have strong opinions about this. If any of you have uh, been to New City Church, I'm like, well, (laughs) we got to repent from a couple things first before this could uh, really get going. But um, but I do love the question because uh, for any of you who are in this room today, or for any of us who will be uh, together at Northeast United Methodist, kind of our second site uh, in Northeast Minneapolis, like we have to ask ourselves, why does this actually matter? Like what, what are we actually doing here? Because uh, 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 I'm asking you to like not only show up on Sunday, but like participate as a community together, to support each other, to be in groups and studies together, to dedicate time and money and energy together. So like, why does it matter? Uh, why does this actually matter? Um, gospel, of course, is uh, kind of a Greek word that refers to the good news. Uh, what, and, I, and I think the question that this is trying to get at is like, what is the good news that is so compelling that it's worth sharing? What is the good news that is so uh, provocative, powerful, life-changing that when we hear other expressions of Christianity that are deeply problematic, like somehow the beauty uh, can so entrance us, can so fixate us on, on the gospel that it's worth striving for? What is that? And I don't know, uh, I don't know all of your stories, but if you're anyone who is the kind of person who often finds themselves at New City Church, I bet you are someone who can name like what the gospel isn't. Like you have a pretty uh, strong uh, uh, language set around that. By the way, if you ever uh, are in a place where you're like, I just don't really want to, I don't want to construct, I kind of just want to deconstruct. There's a, there's a word for that. It's called apophatic theology. And it was like, there are whole seasons of Christianity where it was like, 
let's just say what God isn't and kind of just let that be a thing. You know, like, let's just, uh, it, it was grounded in mysticism. So it was like, let's experience God and then continue to shed away the trappings that are stopping us from fully encountering God. That's apophatic theology. It's really cool. I sometimes find it a little exhausting, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but if, you're, if that's where you are, you probably are able to articulate that, that you don't believe that the gospel, the good news, is hate or manipulation or judgment or nationalism or supremacy or queerphobia or gaslighting. Like, if you're, if you're at uh, New City Church, there is a, there's some possibility or chance that you have come to a place where you're like, I'm so dissatisfied with this idea of God mandating homophobia in our world. Like, I'm so dissatisfied uh, with the racism in our community, and I can't believe that God is neutral in the face of racism. Like, I, like there's something there that you know what the gospel is not. And I bet if I were to ask many of you, uh, you would be able to articulate what the gospel is kind of in large terms, really uh, amazing terms. Like you would be able to maybe name something like love or hope or liberation or community or decolonization or holistic healing or grace. Like, like there, are, there are certain vocabulary sets that you're like, well, I know generally what we're striving for, like connectedness and, and you know, I, I know that that matters. But I guess the question is like, as you're considering your own soul, your own spiritual journey, do you find this beautiful? Do you find this like compelling? The way that when you encounter something that's beautiful, it just <gasps> takes your breath away. Are you like mesmerized by the beauty of this? The question that if, if you're kind of new to this, you can think about um, just starting with like, well, what, what is something that you do find beautiful? Uh, before we talk about the beauty of the gospel, let's just start naming, like, okay, what, what are things that I find beautiful? And even if uh, that's a hard question, you can start asking yourself, like, what is something that you readily sacrifice for? Readily sacrifice for. We readily sacrifice for things that are beautiful. By readily, I mean, like, please let me sacrifice to be able to support this thing. And so, for example, um, cut to, I don't know, was it 2018? 17, when I have a um, Facebook friend who is nice, but kind of more of like an acquaintance, you know, the social media friends that it's like, wow, we're friends, but I don't really have anything to do with you. But nice, but like good person, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, and and he, he lives in Chicago. And he was like, wow, I just won the lottery for Hamilton tickets in Chicago. Anyone want to go? And all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, you're my best friend. <laughs> Hello, hi. And so I messaged him. You know I messaged him and was like, hi, Greg. It's been a while. I just want, I saw your post and I just wanted you to know, I know that if, if you have friends that are, you know, in your immediate area, I want to support you in, in that friendship. <laughs> um... But I just like preached a sermon about Hamilton and I've like memorized the whole thing. And it's probably like the most significant piece of art that like I've ever encountered. Um, and Michelle Obama said that it was the most important piece of art that America ever created. So um, 
if you happened to uh, have a free ticket, I would, um, I would, I would consider it myself. And uh, heart emoji, winky face, shrug, and then I passed it on. And uh, and I'm in Minneapolis, and Greg is in Chicago, and he says, uh, "Well, sounds like you should have this ticket." And so I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay. When is it?" And he's like, "It's for tomorrow night. It's for tomorrow night. I am in the." God-blessed city of Minneapolis, and he is in Chicago, and I don't have a car. And I'm like, okay, 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 we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. And so, like, long story short, I super hard canceled everything for the next 36 hours, just like unrelenting machete through the calendar, got a train ticket uh, to, uh, to ride uh, to Chicago, and the entire time was just like rehearsing the lyrics in my head, you know, where it's like, because what if like something happens and they're like, does anyone in the audience know the words to satisfied? And I'm like, <laughs> I remember that night. So like maybe, Maybe, and so like I was, and so it was basically like the way that the, because you know, the train doesn't run that often, so the way that it worked, I was riding that train, got off the station, got on the bus to meet Greg, we uh, uh, grabbed a quick bite of food, I hadn't eaten for like 20 hours, we got a quick bite of food, and then I went into the theater, and um, for, for those of you who have seen Hamilton, you know like they don't start with the curtain down, they start with the, the curtain up, so right away you can see the set. And so I step in, and immediately I collapse on the floor. Like, in the carpeted aisle, I'm, like, having this Holy Spirit moment because I'm looking at all this set, and I'm like, I know exactly what happens in each of these places, and I'm about to see it. And so I'm, like, losing it. And, uh, and then, like, da 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 musical starts. I'm completely bereft inconsolable, full blast crying, like not able to handle myself at all. Greg is like, do I regret this decision? And uh, I'm just like, ah, I'm seeing this thing. The actors are like, how does an orph, uh, like, you know, they're like starting, they're like, they're singing it out and then they see me in the front row and they're like, okay, I'm just not gonna deal with what's happening there. Um, and, and, uh, I was, I was just so overwhelmed by beauty. I was so like, this is, I somehow feel fuller, more human, more um, in touch with my soul when I'm engaging this art. I somehow like, am part of something bigger than myself that I, is so mysterious that I can hardly name, but I'm like experiencing this with people together. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I readily sacrificed for that beauty. You know, I, I, it, it wasn't really a question. I find, uh, I find fun other things beautiful as well. Um, I find forests beautiful. Um, I'm one of those nature queens that like, you just get me in a forest and all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> like the bass drops and I'm just like, I can talk to trees and I am like going through this path and I feel the birds. Like I just am like deeply enthralled uh, by that, by any time I can be in nature. Um, and, and by the way, that's just like sober 
any day of the week, any time of the day. Like, this is not like an enhanced experience. This is like baseline, like just kind of how, like I look at this river and I'm like, look at how amazing this river is. It started so far away and it's gonna end so far away. And I'm here witnessing the light across the water and it feels so real and important. And I'm gripped because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And um, I should probably mention that I uh, uh, love Brian, my fiance. And I <laughs> see Brian. He's gonna be like, well, can we talk about the order of when, how you presented these things? Um, and, and in a very different way, it's like, you know, I, uh, there's this person in my life who is like, I don't know one other human being on the planet that I would rather be like uh, uh, eating breakfast with right now. Like there's something like, oh my gosh, like this person is amazing and our, the relationship and the life that we're building together is beautiful. And it's so beautiful that I readily sacrifice for it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm clearing away. I'm saying no to a lot of things so that I can practice a powerful yes to this relationship. Um, and it's beautiful. I think what's interesting about all of these, though, is that um, even, even, even as beautiful and as potent and as wonderful as they are, eventually there are times when I'm not really in, a, in an elevated ecstatic state when I uh, am experiencing it. Like, you know, around the third time seeing Hamilton, I still cry. <laughs> uh, second act now, I've made it all the way through the first act. But it's like... You know, it, it doesn't feel like I'm now like embodying God on earth. It's just like there's a certain like habituation to it. And, and while I love nature, I walk by uh, nature all the time on the way to church and I very easily ignore it as I'm thinking through the list in my head, you know. Um, and I love Brian, uh, but sometimes it's not pretty, you know, like relationships are so real and sometimes we have conflict and sometimes uh, it's conflict that doesn't have easy answers to it and like that's hard even though there, it's beautiful and it is beautiful like all of these things in my life are like uh, I don't know uh, things that have beauty that expresses itself in kind of a wave pattern but I'm one of those and I know that this is not the experience of everyone and wherever you are on your journey you're welcome but I was always one of those kids who like knew that God's spirit was the most beautiful because God's spirit is beauty. Like, in ways that even, like, my church didn't really recognize, I was just one of those kids that was like, look at how amazing whatever this is called it is. You know, like, th this, like, invisible but greater than me force that feels so real and powerful. I remember as a kid running around the house, opening up the blinds, and my kids being, or my parents being like, what are you doing, Tyler? And I was like, I want to see God. Like, just, like, feeling so um, impacted by this thing that was uh, greater than me. And actually, I think a lot of kids feel this natural inborn awe that we kind of just, like, steadily train out of people but like I, I really I always knew that there was something greater than me and I think it was only exacerbated by the years that I spent in the closet because I had to ask some really deep questions about who I was as a person as a 12 year old and that kind of like does something to people and all of a sudden I'm like attuned to something that I didn't know was so powerful 
God's spirit was beautiful, and, and, I, and whenever I encounter something that's beautiful, I see God's spirit in it. Like, I believe that God's spirit is in Hamilton and Forrest and in my relationship, and, I, and when I experience something so potent from these things, it's because God is present and aware in that. I'm not one of those pastors who's like, you can only experience God's presence, like, in exactly this time and hour and place. Nah. Like, it's everywhere. It's through all things. It's in all things, and it's like God's spirit is trying to make your life more beautiful. Um, and for the record, like God's spirit is in drag too. I just feel like I gotta say something like, like all of this whole, like we're gonna ban drag queens from wearing princess dresses, reading stories about princesses to kids in libraries because somehow that's posturing them for to be like sexualized while also going to a baby shower and all these straight people buying these kids like lady killer t-shirts and i'm like that kind of feels like it's sexualizing like what so like i um just want to name that uh, uh god moves through all four of the final contestants of the most recent season of uh rupaul's drag race i did watch the finale yesterday no spoilers but it is good so um yeah like I just want to name that God's spirit can kind of like show up all over the place. The reason why we're in church is not because God's spirit is only here, but because we practice noticing God's spirit here and we help our community when they're going through seasons when it's harder to notice God's spirit. Like that's kind of what church is about. Um, and I just want to name that like, it's not always like, wow, God is amazing. I just like, wow, awe, rapture, ecstasy. It's not always that. Uh, in my experience, sometimes I experience God in ways that don't take my breath away, but are a little bit um, grittier, are a little bit harder. Like, sometimes God's spirit is simply when I have a day where I kind of feel empty or where I feel kind of broken, and God turns me into something alive again. Like, sometimes Easter is like just the day where it's like, I can, I'm here and I'm here with people again. Like, that's, uh, that can be God's spirit, too. And in that regard, I'm really grateful for this language from the Christianity about how Jesus saves us, how God is saving us, because, like, it kind of speaks to this whole um, um, spectrum, this whole, like, uh, uh, vocabulary of our soul, of what, how God is relating to us, and it's continually putting attention on relationship instead of just kind of doing the, like, new agey personal like i just have my own spiritual journey and i'm just by myself and like it doesn't matter what anyone else does i just have my own little thing like god i love christian language because it helps it, Im it implores us to enter relationship with each other and with god uh but sometimes like the lily endowment can tell you like this gathering in indianapolis is going to tell you um, sometimes it's just hard to describe this, especially for people who haven't experienced this before. Like, I've been in community with tons of people who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I literally have never had a life experience where I've had the type of reaction that you were talking about. Does that mean that God's not for me? And so, like, the past eight years of ministry have been like, uh, I actually believe that God is showing up in your life, maybe more powerfully than in my life, but it just shows up kind of different in your body or the, the experience is different. You know, like I was talking to some folks who code all day. They're like in the tech world. And it's like, yeah, 
if your brain is focusing on that type of detail and that type of logic and that sequence, you might experience diff uh, God differently than me who's like skipping through a forest. Like it, you just might. And like, your brain is different and that's okay because God's still there anyways. You know what I mean? Like, and so your task isn't to become like me. Your task is to become like Jesus. Your task is to like discover how God is moving in your life in whatever way that might be. But I love the story that we have today because it puts it in as simple of a term as I've ever thought of. Uh, the story for today with this manna is like, we didn't have bread and then we had bread. And like, you know, it's like literally like, th like that's what God does. I, I didn't have bread and then I had bread. Uh, we talked to, uh, you know, if you look at theologians or Christians in the global South, like in Africa and South America, it's pretty clear, like, I didn't have something and then I had something. Thank you, God. That's it. That's, like, that, that's all we're trying to get at here. And, and I love the story of manna because did you notice all those important details in Exodus? All of those really important details. Like, like it's not that you didn't have bread and then you could hoard bread. It's not that you didn't have bread and then you can, like, stockpile bread so you, have to, you can forget what God is doing. It's not like... I'm going to uh, get bread and then steal other people's bread and then make them pay me as I give them bread. Like, it was like every household is going to be able to collect one household's worth of bread, period. And if you stockpile it, it goes bad, period. And I love, like, how this is showing that, uh, that God is inviting us into a daily ritual of trust, that God is trying to be like uh, uh, it's not just a one and done kind of thing. It's like, a, like a, a habit of trust. We're cultivating a habit of trust. And I just want to name, like, a lot of people, uh, you know, when I talk about Grapevine, they're like, well, like, how, how can a church be supporting, like, all these nonprofits that don't have anything to do with Jesus or don't have anything? They're not saying anything about God. They're not doing Bible studies or anything. And I'm like, I don't know. There's biblical precedence to just be like, maybe salvation is really just as simple as people who don't have bread have bread. And like, and, and uh, uh, maybe it's not, but let's just try that and then see what happens. You know, like, let's just try everyone having bread and then seeing if we need to do more things. Can we start with everyone having bread and then being like, do we need to have a mandatory Bible study in order to participate? Like, I just, I just feel like God wants to participate in your life in a very particular way and like there are breads that all of us are missing and there are breads that God wants to provide us and sometimes that might be literal bread. That's the story of manna. And I just, I love this story because if you were here last week, you know like um, uh, God delivered them from slavery to an empire. God got people out and then not so long after God got people out, we heard the reading today. Like God, we, God was like, I'm going to amazingly part the sea and upturn an entire, like the most powerful empire that you've ever known so that you can get your freedom. And they're like, wow, praise God. Day two. Okay, so God, I don't, actually don't like God. I wish I was back in Egypt. You know, like, <laughs> dang, internalized oppression. So like, like I just want to name that like some of you have had moments or events where you're like, wow, I've really felt God. And that's powerful because God's getting us out. 
but like that in itself is not enough to cultivate a spirituality or faith. Like there's a certain returning to the bread uh, that is required for us to be able to start to actually change how we relate to ourselves and to God. I thought it was interesting after, um, we didn't read this verse, but uh, in that same story it says, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a livable land. <laughs> okay, y'all. And y'all give me flack for drinking too many protein drinks and Huel. Like, listen, <laughs> there's precedence. Okay, uh, so the, the point is like, um, um, it takes practice, it takes time. And there are gonna be seasons in your life where you're like, why am I even showing up to the field to gather manna? What is the point of all of this? I don't really get this. My other friends don't seem to matter or don't seem to see this as something that matters, so why am I doing it? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, talk to me in 40 years and then let's see what this practice has done in your life, you know? Like, maybe there's something that, like, can only be revealed over time through repetition. And that's the practice of faith. Uh, and, and then, eventually, I do believe that if we do practice this enough, the fruit of what, we'll, uh, of what we're cultivating will result in love, liberation, hope, community, decolonization, holistic healing, and grace. Okay, like, we can't forget the this. Like, uh, uh, this is the goal of what we're striving toward. But the second time around, we're going to encounter this and find it to be so beautiful, so breathtaking, that it's something that you will easily be able to put other things down for so that you can reach for this. It's going to be something that consumes your imagination and your life and your relationships and your stewardship in the most voluntary, consenting kind of way. Like, it'll be like, I can't wait to be able to learn a little bit more about how God is creating liberation in my community. That's the 40-year that's the plan, y'all, and we're in it together. Amen? Amen.